love in, in his life. And we want to notice uh, how Paul talks about the, the reality of how love of Christ compelled Paul. We want to think about how Paul was motivated for service from this love. And then we want to think about applying principles of Paul's uh, example to our own lives. So if you have your Bibles, by now you've turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we want to begin by looking in, in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. Notice what Paul says. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As we think about true love stories, Paul says, here is the impact of the greatest love story on my life. He says, it is this love that, that controls me. Consider this love as we look again in verse 15, or verse 14 rather. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. And, and what does that mean, the love of Christ? There's a little bit of debate among scholars as to what that means. Does that mean the love that Christ has for us controlled Paul? Or is Paul saying that the love that he has for Christ controls Paul? I'm not sure that really matters. Grammatically, in the Greek language, it could be either way. But whichever way it is, Paul says, it is this love. Either I'm motivated as I think about how much God loves me, that I want to go out and preach the gospel, Paul says. Or he's saying, I love Christ so much that I've got to go out and preach the gospel. Why do you love Christ so much, Paul? Because of what he did for you. How it took me from being a, a prosecutor of Christianity to becoming a proclaimer of Christianity. But Paul says it is this love that controls me. As we dig a little bit deeper into this passage, we say, well, what do you mean it, it controls you, Paul? How does that love control you? Because love's not supposed to be controlling, Paul. What does it mean that love controls you? And he uses a word here in the Greek that literally means to hold together, to hold together. And the way this word was sometimes used by the Greeks is it meant to hold people together in prison. Now, 
that's not a very positive, nice thought. But you can see where the idea of control then comes from this Greek word as it develops in its usage. From being to hold together, to hold together in prison, to now control. And then from there it came on to sometimes carry the idea of unity. To not just hold together, but hold together. And as other scholars look at this word and, and the use of this word by the Greeks in that first century that, that Paul was, was living in, it, it takes on that connotation. So uh, figuratively, to hold things uh, together. And Bayer, or Bauer and Thayer, in both of their lexicons, uh, say it's the idea of urging or compelling someone. Uh, other scholars, other lexicons, uh, such as Coster in the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament and Kritzer in Balzer and Snyder's lexicon, uh, say is this idea of dominate. In other words, Paul's saying the love is so strong that it dominates me. It controls me. It, it moves me so that I've got to preach this gospel message. Have you ever been controlled or, or moved by love that much? There's a rumor going around the church, folks. It's not a nice rumor, Paul. It's a rumor that somebody in this room makes breakfast for his wife every day. And that's not me. That's why it's a nasty room. Oh, he does it too? That's him. Okay. But you see, why would you do that? Why would you get up and make breakfast for your wife every morning? I mean, come on, right? It's because that love dominates you, right? And I guess we could say moms do the same thing. Moms get up, and they make breakfast for their kids. And they make breakfast. Often it's the woman, right, that does it. And why does she do that? Because her love for her husband dominates her, controls her. She, want, she wants to go out and, and, and do that. But Paul's taking that imagery, and he's saying, look, it's because of this love of Christ that I have that propels me, compels me, dominates me, forces me, makes me want to get out talk about what Christ did. In other words, Paul says this love of Christ holds together everything in Paul's life, everything in his life. So completely does this idea dominate his life and ministry that it's what motivates him. Now, broader picture here, I need to understand the context. Paul here is in a section in where in where she is having to compare himself with people that are false apostles, people that are false teachers that are trying to compare themselves to him. And Paul is making the point, this is why I take care of you. Not because I'm trying to get financial gain out of it. Not because I'm trying to take advantage of folks. I am preaching because of the love I have for Christ. Or maybe because I understand the love that Christ had for me. And so Paul says, this is what I, this is what I do. This is why I preach the gospel. As we saw last week, we talked about Jesus as that monogenes, the one and only Son of God. But there was something unique about Jesus. We saw last week that Paul says in, in Colossians chapter, chapter 2, that in Him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And yet that same Jesus came to this earth, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, and took on the form of a human being, and being found in the, in, in, in the form of a man, went to the cross. All because he loves us. And it's that love that Paul is talking about here, uh, as he thinks about what, what God has, ha, has done for us. 
And the result of that, Paul says, is, so, is that because of that love, it ought to transform our lives. It ought to change us in a way so that no longer are we thinking of ourselves. Notice what it says again, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, notice this verse 15, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Christianity is a change. It's a change in the way that you think. It's a change in the way you behave. And maybe the thinking isn't that far off for some folks. For some folks, it's a, it's a completely different change. If you grew up living in a, a Christian home, and your parents talked about God, and you read the Bible, and you prayed together, even then, as you grow up in that home, you're still thinking about yourself. You're still thinking about yourself many times. What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? What do I want to play? What do I want to listen to? What do I want to watch? It doesn't have to be a lot of bad things. But you're making decisions for yourself based on what you want. There are other people that grew up in a home where God has never talked about where no one ever prays to God, where no one ever sings praises to God, where no one ever mentions his name, and they have no idea of God. And their life, too, is based on, well, what do I want to do? What do I want to watch? What do I want to eat? What do I want to drink? Where do I want to go? But because they're not in a home where God's often talked about, sometimes those places are places that we say are a lot darker over here, and, and these guys are really far off. But the reality is both those folks are the same folks. Because all they're thinking is still about, this is what I want to do, what I want to drink, what I want to eat, what I want to watch. But when you become a Christian, that thinking changes. What's pleasing to God? What does God want me to do? How does God want me to speak? How does God want me to carry myself? What attitude does God want me to have today? And you know what? None of us are perfect changing that behavior every day. But when you become a Christian, you strive to, to live for him. And, and each day that you do that, it becomes just a little bit easier. Sometimes you have setbacks, right? And you've got to climb back into it. But your thinking has changed. And because your thinking has changed, also your behavior has changed. And Paul says, so... This is what we have done because this is the message that God has for us. Because Christ died for us and he rose again, he gave us that newness of life. That newness of life. When Jesus rose from the dead, he started life over for us. When we, become, when we come up out of that watery grave of that baptism, we have our same physical body. We have, uh, uh, you know, everything else around us may be the same, but what has changed is I have a new life. I get to start over. When was the last time you got to start over? A do-over. How many times when you were a little kid playing basketball, 
and he put that shot up there, and he didn't even touch the basket, hit the rim. I was a short guy. My nickname in school was Scrawny Ronnie, right? Because that's true. Uh, and, 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 you know, uh, so you get that ball back and you tell everyone, I want a do-over, right? And when you're five, six, seven, and eight, you might get the do-over. Pretty soon you lose the do-overs. This is the do-over that matters, folks. This is the do-over that matters. Changing my life. Paul says, this is what we do as a result of Jesus being raised from the dead. Now notice this verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Jesus came in the flesh, folks. People saw Jesus in the flesh. You and I didn't see Jesus in the flesh because we're so many years removed. But we can read the eyewitness accounts of those who saw him in the flesh. Paul says we knew him in the flesh, but we don't know him in the flesh anymore because he's ascended back into heaven. He's with his Father spiritually in heaven. But you see, that's the hope that we have because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that there's a day coming when we get to be in heaven spiritually with our Father. But notice what he says, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. New things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Folks, if you are a Christian, you are a new creature. You have that newness. All things are new. People that knew you in the past and saw you maybe when you were way over here in darkness, and they see that your life is different. You're not doing any of those things anymore. You're a new creature. When you're over here and you're in a Christian family and, and you, you read the Bible and you prayed at home and, and, and you went to church, but you're still making decisions on your own, what you want to do, you're still a new creature because you're making decisions based on what's pleasing to God. And you're striving to do that. And so Paul says this is the message that we have, is this idea of reconciliation. I want you to notice a couple other passages with me, just briefly. Romans chapter 6. Paul talks about this idea of being a new creature, being new. There he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, after he talks about how we're united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, verses 1 through 9. Notice what he says, verse 11. He says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting your members, the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall, shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What's Paul saying? When you're united with Jesus in baptism, you become that new person. You put away that, that old sin. You, you no longer follow that lifestyle. You no longer follow that thinking. And instead, you present yourselves to God. And as we recognize this, Paul keeps talking about this word reconciliation. This word reconciliation through this passage. That means to be brought back into a right relationship with someone. Here's the reality of our lives. When we're born, we're born because God created us. 
And He created us without sin. He created us pure and innocent. But somewhere along the lines, and, and let me back up for just a second, and, and say while we were born sinless and innocent and, and pure, we had a good relationship with God, even though we were just little guys and we didn't really think about that relationship. We had a relationship with God. But somewhere along the line, we got old enough to realize uh, that we can make our own decisions and do our own things. And as soon as we started making choices that were not the ones that God would have us to make, we began to harm our relationship with God. Because God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So He can't be with us in darkness. And so we choose to step away from God. And we choose to step away from God. And we choose to step away from God. And so at some point in our lives, we were very far away from God. And we could not on our own make it back to God. And so Jesus provided a way that we could be reconciled to God, brought back into that right relationship with God. That's what that idea of reconciliation is. You've hurt someone. You've caused someone pain. You've damaged a relationship with someone. They have every right not to talk to you, see you, be with you, do anything for you again. But reconciliation is the idea that that person entertains being in a relationship with you again and makes that relationship whole again. And so when we were way over here because we kept moving away from God and moving away from God, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection opened the door and allows us to come back in through the blood of Christ and be right in that relationship with God again. That's all it uses. That's what his sacrifice was all about. That's what his love was all about. And so Paul says, this is that message that we're supposed to be preaching. This is that message that we're supposed to be teaching. And it ought to change the way we live. Notice this, John chapter 14, verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. This is Jesus, last hours before he dies, talking with his apostles, reminding them of how they ought to be changed. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Ever weighed that on your mind or let that weigh on your mind? Jesus, as he's talking to his apostles, tells him just hours before his death, burial, and or death, before he's arrested and, and, and he dies, he tells his apostles, the 11 guys, Judas is already gone. He's telling the 11 guys who are his right-hand men, the men who have been traveling with him for three years, the men who have seen him do the miracles, the men who have seen him preach, the men who have seen everything that is awesome about Jesus. He tells them, that's not enough. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love Christ, the impact of that in our lives is we keep His commandments. Look at one chapter later, chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. A changed life comes because our love of Christ 
tells us that we are going to change the way we behave so that we want to do and do do the things that God wants us to do. That's the connection. If you want a relationship with Jesus, then our love of Him will direct our behavior. For Paul, as he considered what Jesus had done for him and for all men, this notion of this love dominated his attitude and his motivation for his ministry. So let's ask the question, how, was, how Paul was motivated for his service from this love? Paul recognizes others uh, based who they are uh, 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 based who they are, are in Christ, living for Him, regardless of how you once were. Living for self. You're now this new creature. And so as we look at verse 20 and we look at verse 18, as we come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and Paul talks about this idea of, 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 of being a new creature, he says, look, the way we see each other changes. The way we look at mankind changes. Verse 18, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are new creatures. We look at people differently. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. You look at one another differently. You look at the world differently, knowing that they need that reconciliation. Verse 19, he says, uh, this is that ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against themselves. So we see this guy over here and we say, oh, look at that person. Look at all the stuff they're into. Look at all the sin in their life. What a nasty person they are. Paul says, no, no. God made that person. And God gave us, at least for Paul as an apostle, but I would say perhaps this extends to us as well. The idea that we are ambassadors for Christ, it's our job to let that person know about all the goodness, all the greatness, all the mercy, all the grace that's in Christ so that that person can find out about the reconciliation of Jesus, so that that person can be brought back into our right relationship with God. And he says, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. As Paul writes to the church at Corinth, there are a lot of problems in Corinth. You see, they weren't looking at each other as new creatures. They were fighting amongst each other. They were bickering with each other. There are some people in that church that didn't think Paul deserved to be called an apostle. There are people there that didn't think Paul should be listened to. There were people there that were fighting amongst each other bitterly. And so Paul has to look at these Christians and remind them, this is how the love of Christ ought to change the way you view others. This is how the love of Christ ought to change the way you behave. And so he's having to tell them, I beg you, be reconciled to God. Because that's what it's all about. That's what you did when you were baptized, was to be reconciled to God. Now let your life show it. Be reconciled to God. Last thing we want to think about this morning is applying the principles of Paul's example of responding to God to our lives. 
In other words, the love that Paul had, or the, Paul, the love that Paul felt from God, from Christ. As we look at his example of how he responded to that love, let's think about how we respond to God's love. First thing we need to ask ourselves is, can we let the love of Christ dominate our lives? In other words, the love that we think that we have received from Christ and we did receive it, or the love that we have for Christ because of what he's done for us, how does that change the way we interact? Do we consider how Christ died so that all might live, including ourselves? The reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection needs to be real to us. Not constantly beating ourselves up for our past sins, but acknowledging his grace, acknowledging his kindness, and moving on. Sometimes we beat ourselves up constantly because of past sins. And we need to acknowledge our past sins and address them and say, you know, when I was doing this over here, I shouldn't have been doing that. I'm not going to do that anymore. That's acknowledging but not beating yourself up. You beat yourself up when you say, you know what, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be pure enough. Guess what? The blood of Christ on that cross made you good enough. The blood of Christ on that cross made you pure enough. And so we don't need to worry about those past sins. We need to learn from them. We need to not continue to do them. But we need to not beat ourselves up. We also need to no longer live for ourselves, but for God and for Christ. Thinking about what Christ did for us. We need to change our mindsets, change our way of thinking. I want to live for God. I want to live for Christ. And when we change our thinking, our behavior will follow. Our behavior will follow. In some things, it may be an overnight thing. I'm just not going to do that anymore. But there's some things in our lives that's going to take us being diligent and purposeful to get away from. If you think when you become a Christian you will never sin again, you're wrong. You will. That's why John tells us to confess our sins to Christ, and Christ is faithful to forgive us. If you think that being a Christian means you're never going to be tempted again, you're wrong. Because Satan is going to tempt you and try to come after you hard. But God's compassion is, is that he doesn't allow you to be tempted more beyond what you can bear. The idea is that you try to do everything you can mentally and in your actual behavior to be pleasing to God. Finally, we need to seek to know God and to live for Him. When you become a Christian, when a person becomes a Christian, their knowledge of God, their knowledge of the Bible is very small, and that's okay. You continue to grow. You continue to study. You continue to understand who God is. What you need to know to become a Christian is, do I believe that God exists? Do I believe that Jesus is his son? Do I believe that Jesus is God who came to this earth in the form of a human being? Do I believe that Jesus died and was buried and was raised to be a sacrifice for my sins? Do I believe that Jesus is now ascended into heaven? If you know that, you know what it is to become a Christian. And then you continue to grow. You continue to mature. You continue to live a more faithful life every day. And it's a purposeful thing. But you see, 
that's how we respond to the greatest love. Recognizing what God has done for us. God loves you so much, He wants you to spend an eternity with Him that He opened the door to reconciliation to bring you back into a right relationship with Him. And He opened that, that door through the body of His Son, Jesus. And the door is open for you. If you're ready to walk through that door this morning, you can come and be united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Maybe you've kind of gone back out that door moved away. God is faithful to forgive your sins and to confess them to Him and bring you back home. Whatever you need, won't you come as together we stand and sing.